0: Hey, welcome back to another Big Esports podcast. In this episode, we are in unprecedented times, and you don't need me to re-explain what everybody else has been talking about around the globe, but in the midst of everything that's happening with coronavirus now, simply by the nature of social distancing and businesses being forced to close down across the world, sports basically doesn't exist, so now esports is the only sport that exists there's so many sports that are turning to it and motorsport has been the one that's really picked it up a lot so i decided to do a linkedin live and push out this podcast with someone who's in the middle of all of it there's so much great information to be digested in this episode enjoy For those of you who have also lost your employment or are looking to skill up, we're trying to help here at Big Esports. We have an Esports Fundamentals course, which is helping people to understand an entry point into the employment within the esports and gaming market, whether you're coming straight out of college, university, high school, or whether you're trying to transition from another sport. To provide support for all of you, we're offering a pay-as-you-feel model. So you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash education. If you've lost your main line of employment and you can't afford to pay right now at all that's perfectly fine we're able to offer it up to you for free you can pay now you can pay later you can choose whatever you want the course is usually 127 AUD you can take it now for whatever you feel is appropriate or whatever you're able to afford hopefully this will help a few of you get back on your feet in the short term and also the long term Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the eSports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions, feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports_gg. underscore gg. Jamie, welcome. Um, I'm in the future. I can tell you that the world's still operational as of 7.35 p.m. in the future as it is here in Australia. I know you're just waking up, so thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for
0: having me. So let's, um, we got a lot to chat about. You know, these are you know, everyone uses the same taglines, unprecedented times, all this new kind of stuff's happening. If anyone's listening back to this podcast on the audio-only version or the VOD version, um, in the future, year, five years, whatever, we're in the middle of the coronavirus right now where uh, all the bars are closed basically around the world, all public events are closed, nightclubs, um, and all the sports have been shut as well. Sports say the AFL in Australia has cut 80% of its workforce. Um you know, NBA is not playing, uh, FIFA is not playing for a period of time. There were sports playing to empty stadiums. But Jamie, who we've got on with us today, is kind of at the center of a whole lot of esports being the saving grace, I think, or at least the the second best option for a lot of these sports, specifically in motorsports. So, mate, for for the viewers, before we launch completely into it, can you just let us know a bit about yourself, your history, and also Veloci, which is your company?
1: Sure. Yeah, so um, I'm one of the co founders uh, of Veloci Esports, which was set up uh, at the back end of 2017. Um, my previous um, role was I was a football agent, so I used to manage Premier League football players. Uh, my two business partners were ex professional racing drivers, um, and they set up a racing management business called Veloci Sports. Um, I mean, I've always been a big, huge gamer, and um, they're two close friends of mine. And I approached them and said, guys, you know, esports is something that I think we should look at. Um, let's give it a shot. And I think at that point, motorsports was in a, a period where esports didn't really exist. I think Formula One had done a test esports event in Abu Dhabi, um, but there was very, very little kind of going on. Certainly, there was the kind of niche sim racing stuff happening, but at a low level. Um, so we thought that c- combining our kind of real-life sports backgrounds um, and, and my eSports experience that we could kind of make some some kind of strong progress. And within a year, we were partnered with the Alfa Romeo um, Racing F1 team, which was the Salva team at that, at that point. Um, we then launched Fernando Alonso's eSports team. So quite quickly, we made some, some headway there. And, and since we've kind of grown to become one of the world's leading uh, eSports teams, um, not just in racing, but we also operate in Fortnite and Rocket League. Um, so, yeah, I mean, our, our business is kind of fundamentally built on two things, which is visibility and credibility. Um, the credibility comes from winning races, from having the fastest drivers, from um, having the best uh, professional players. Um, but I think early on, certainly in the racing kind of space, we we recognized that if we were winning, ra- winning races and, and, and no one was watching, then... What was the point? Um, so we, we kind of looked at the market and kind of saw that there were, you know, content creators in, in our space that were getting really big visibility, um, a lot more than the competitions were. And, and they were kind of people that we wanted to align with, to bring into our team um, and to kind of build our business around fundamentally because you know, they had the eyeballs, they had the audience. And um, yeah, that, that was kind of how we've been successful up until this point.
0: Yeah, fantastic. It sounds like you guys have struck, you know, we've talked about that so much in our, um, in the content here that I've done on LinkedIn and stuff before about what's your identity as an esports team. And, you know, there were discussions that we've had in some previous content and saying that I think there's a bit of confusion in identity in a lot of teams. They seem to copy paste what others do. Yeah. And if you were to ask, you know, what's the difference between a Cloud9 or a Team Liquid, would a, would a audience member be able to answer that? you know, unequivocally, where they probably can, you know, phase versus hundred thieves. And it sounds like they can for you guys, and that's what you um, you know, kind of looked at too. And, you know, we saw that especially in Australia, I remember twenty 2018 or so was like the, the year when investment came into esports in Australia in a big way. And every team basically said the same thing. You know, they raised 200K to a mil and they all said, well, now I'm going to be the best. I'm going to buy the best players and I'm going to win everything and that's what my identity is going to be like. And it's like, well, you can only have one person at the top of the podium or three people on the podium. So every yeah. team can't be a winner. So it's like, what's your identity and, and you know, how do you fit that in? So it seems like you, it seems like you guys are, are pretty much a, you know, I would say a pioneer, I guess, in the, in the racing space, right? What other kind of teams are prominent, like within the motor racing space across um, the world?
1: I mean, c- certainly doing what we're doing, there, there isn't really uh, a team like us. Um, you know, a lot of professional racing teams have now set up esports entities. So Red Bull on our Red Bull Esports, Ferrari mm. have a Ferrari Esports. But the issue with that is that they're very constrained to a Formula One team, and um, politically, what you can and can't say, and you can do on social media. With us, we've we kind of got a free reign. And, and to touch on your point, I think, you know, we, we recognized quite early on that if we were to go down the route of copying Optic Gaming or phase, we were we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a business because those guys were doing it at a, a scale a thousand times bigger and better than we could ever achieve with the finance that we had. Um, yeah. So we had to find a, a USP, something that kind of wasn't it didn't exist in the market. And what didn't exist was a team that racing fans could resonate with um that could call their own um certainly i remember when i'm ai was a call of duty player and fan and i used to resonate with the optic team because they had good content on their channels i love nade shot i love scamp you know i love watching those guys and then i felt like a, a closeness to that team and i'd love to watch them and i think what we tried to do in the racing space is to have their favorite content creators under the veloce brand um but also be winning races so that those fans could celebrate victories and 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 enjoy it. So, you know, it's funny because as a business, we struggled. Uh, certainly in the first year, we kind of like, well, let's just do Rocket League, let's do Fortnite, let's do every single game we can do. But actually, what we found was we should just stay in the racing space because that's our that's us, you know. And Rocket League works because it's still cars. Um, Fortnite plus. I mean, uh, to be completely transparent with you, it's, it's a game that obviously blew up, and I, I'm not sure where it's going at the moment, but, you know, it might be that in six months we, we, we aren't in, in, in Fortnite. I'm, I'm not entirely sure yet. Just just purely because there's a lack of direction there. Does it really resonate with our fan base? Probably not. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting times. Um, and, you know, I think... For any new esports team out there, that you know, and I think there is space for new new teams because we've we've made it, we've ha- made it happen in two years. Um, so I wouldn't put anyone off. But what I would kind of challenge people to do is to find a space that's untapped that there's space for growth. Um, because if you go in uh, up against the big guys, you, you are going to fail. It's as simple as that.
0: Yeah, and I think one one thing that you guys do well, and we talked about this pre-broadcast a little bit is how easy it is to understand motor racing if you're a traditional brand or a traditional fan. And spinning that in a different way is like, it, it makes it so you guys functioning within esports are not having to push it uphill. And, you know, this is something that I've experienced myself when I did a little bit of esports consulting. And I said, right, now's the time to quit my job at Corsair. I'm going to go into esports consulting full-time. Terrible idea because most of the time you're trying to convince brands, you reach out to a brand and say, hey, you need esports. They go, hey, what the hell is esports? And they're yeah. like, why should I pay attention to it? So you're trying to sell them something they don't understand and they don't want to buy. You know, you go and knock on someone's door and they haven't got a pool and you're trying to sell them pool salts. There's There's no way. But it seems like a lot more for you guys, especially because of the brands, you know, the, that are getting involved within the racing scene, being much more infant and also being smaller in number in, in viewers than other games like CSGO and League of Legends and such. It seems to have accelerated so much faster with those brands coming into that space. It seems easy for people to understand because, you know, F1 teams are no joke. They got ridiculous amounts of funding. They spend a lot of money and for them to, um, divert you know, their gaze for even two seconds from the Red Bull F1 car to considering something about esports. Like, I think that's a massive compliment in itself, if nothing else.
1: No, 100%. Um, I mean, again, when we first started, that wasn't really the case. You know, it was still very – I mean, the sport itself was in the dinosaur ages to a point, purely because – Bernie Eccleston was running Formula One. He didn't want anything to do with esports. Um, and obviously when Liberty Media took over Formula One, things started to change. They recognised that, you know, to, the sport itself has a very a much older demographic. And, you know, mm-hmm. there was certainly a challenge from the sport itself across the board, not just in Formula One, but you know, IndyCar, NASCAR, all, all of these big racing series around the world that had a, an older audience but couldn't really get into targeting the younger generation and i think mm. you know through a lot of conversations that we had with teams and um brands and, and actual championships you know we kind of were able to start convincing people look guys we've got an audience here of you know 13 to 30 um they're into racing they watch it online all the, every day um and some of them might watch the real world but not all of them do and that was the, the real opportunity for us and for them um to be kind of be like well let's bring those two worlds together and, and, and make it work for both, both sides. Because, you know, like you say, to have Formula One teams operating within the esports space is fantastic because, you know, they've got massive budgets, huge fan bases, um, mm-hmm. resources that you, you wouldn't believe, you know? So, um, to have those guys come and come in and, and start kind of embracing it was, was really exciting. And I think you've seen, obviously the last couple of years, the F1 esports series, which I think is a fantastic competition. Um, really well broadcast um i think there's a lot of things that could be better um like in any esport but uh mm. it, it, it's been it's been very exciting to kind of watch from our side you know all the the big brands like ferrari recently coming on board i mean that in itself was, was massive and you know they're sponsor yeah. Hublot. you know do they target young audience probably not but they recognize that they need to be in it and that's mm. uh, a huge tick in the box for us
0: was was Ferrari I don't I don't know if I have this right was Ferrari the only F1 team that didn't have an esports team for a while because right. I, I think I remember reading somewhere don't once again I don't know if this is true or not that Ferrari basically hates to do marketing they they think yeah. that you know their their cars kind of sell themselves is that mm. true
1: Yeah I think to a large degree that is true um I mean obviously like I say the fact that Ferrari recognized they needed to be in it I mean that is a, a, a really kind of big point um Yeah like you say, the, the cars do sell themselves. Ferraris will always sell themselves. Um, yeah. They've got that rich history. Um, I think any motor racing fan, the, the first name you'd, you'd say is Ferrari. So um, yeah. when, they in the, when they weren't in the original series, a lot of heads turned turn, were kind of like, oh, you know, why are they not in it? Um, obviously when Mercedes joined, that was obviously a big, a big piece of news because obviously Lewis is, and, and the team have been so successful in the real world for so many years now. Um, mm. But, yeah, when, when Ferrari announced and they won it. They won it in the first year. So,
0: Did they really? They, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Good old yeah, that's,
0: yeah, that's pretty funny. You know what? You know the first question I would ask the Illuminati, if it existed and if I met them, was why do rappers only rap about Lambos these days, where 10 years ago they used to rap about Rari's, or five years ago even, but now it's all Lambos. And yeah, that's all the YouTubers own. They all own Lambos. Why? NBA players, they seem to talk about Lambos. At, and I didn't recognize that till recently i got a friend of a friend who's a very successful entrepreneur and you know he bought a, a brand new i don't know, super expensive ferrari and i went i actually kind of forgot about that they existed so maybe that's part of it you know i'm a younger guy and i'm not buying a ferrari right now but hey who knows i'm in the start exactly yeah so so who's Actually, I have one more question for you. As as someone who's a light motorsport fan, I guess you know being a being a car and a motorbike fanatic myself, and and watched things casually over the years, but never been so much into F one. Why is the F one so much bigger than every other motorsport in the world? It seems to dwarf every single other one put together.
1: Um, I think it's just the history of the sport. I mean, it's it's been kind of the, the pinnacle and um, deemed the pinnacle of motorsport for you know. Hundreds of years um, since since it first started. That you know mm-hmm. the, old, the old kind of champions, the James Hunts, the Nicky Lauders, the Michael Schumachers. There's been so many um, icons of the sport, and I think yeah. you know the technology as well. It's it's a sport that prides itself on being the most advanced in technology. You know, you think you saw I don't know if you saw in testing this year at uh, in Barcelona that Mercedes found that a new uh, technique of on the straights that drivers were able to pull the steering wheel in and out, to turn the wheels in and out, to reduce drag, to help tire wear. And it's these kind of little bits of kind of technical advancement that I think Formula One's always been ahead of every other um, racing around the world. Um, There may be some American series would challenge that, but, you know, in in audience and excitement, um, the tracks that, that exist, Um, I don't think there's any any series that comes close on that front, but saying that, MotoGP is awesome, what what a sport, you know, kind of high octane, always overtakes, always drama, Um, that's another fantastic series, Um, IndyCar, Indy 500, amazing event, so there's lots of other good events, but I think Formula One's just always been kind of deemed the pinnacle.
0: Yeah. And I guess it's part of what you were saying is how long it's been around, right? It's kind of like if you were to ask someone, what's the first ever motor racing event? It really is kind of Formula One. And there's so yeah. many iconic, iconic things that have come out of it. And it yeah. makes perfect sense. And yeah, I watched definitely have gone down the rabbit hole of, you know, YouTube recommended sometimes in the past looking at how much, how much money is put into these cars. And the difference in money that some of these teams have versus others. And that's why they win. It's, it's crazy. Kind of, kind of blows your mind when you're in esports and you're used to rubbing like a nickel and a dime together to make some magic happen. And then you watch a video like I did on the NFL about how they hire a whole Boeing um jetliner to go from one place to another and they have like four full-time staff who simply just wash and clean equipment and repair it yeah. it's like okay there's definitely different levels to do this kind yeah, of thing and-
1: it, it's funny because we, we obviously operate the the alfa romeo esports operations and um mm. we went to silverstone and we kind of got uh, under the hood of how the kind of f1 team kind of prepare for a weekend and it is just mind-blowing how much goes into the logistics of, you know, taking that equipment around the world. You know, they're in Melbourne, then they're in Shanghai, then they're in uh, Belgium, then America, then Mexico. It's it's incredible. Um, you mm. know, and we've been in the factory, and you wouldn't believe the kind of level of detail they go into and uh, the preparation they do to kind of design a car. You know, it's, it's incredible. It really is.
0: So who's who's watching um, F one and, and traditional motorsport? Is it bigger in certain countries than others? Is it is it something that's also penetrated Asia? Or is it mainly Western markets?
1: Uh, it's mainly Western markets. I mean, there's been a there's potentially a big push kind of within China moving forward. Um, yeah, okay. That's a market that makes quite a lot of sense for Formula One. Um, Obviously, I think there's, there's been some restrictions around the game being available in China at the moment. So I think they're working on that currently. But yeah. um, demographically, it's still, you know, the typical esports audience. Um, there's been a it's a huge challenge, really, to kind of take the older generation and say, hey, guys, look what we're doing. And, and, and obviously, we'll touch on that um, point with the coronavirus stuff. But yeah, I think... Um, yeah it's typically a younger demographic european predominantly audience um you know obviously the the icons and the pro big big names in the sport at the moment are all really from kind of like holland with max verstappen uh, UK uk mm. Lewis, uh, germany with vettel um so it's a predominantly european market for the esports championship um but yeah i mean the the, the kind of what lies ahead for us and how this is going to be truly successful is by getting into the U.S. market. I think that will be uh, important because I know, obviously, with the drive to survive Netflix series, that started to help broaden the understanding of and an actual knowledge of the sport, which is good. Um, yeah. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how things develop. And Australia is also a big market. Our biggest uh, YouTuber that operates in Formula One is uh, is Australian called uh, Tim at Marduk. He's now moved over to the UK to kind of support Veloce and, and work with us a little bit closer. So, um,
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. And it's it's funny kind of talking about, you know, you just asking, like me asking you about the traditional market instead of eSports because you said there's so many crossovers, right? And I guess part of like what we talked about off, off like before we started recording is that it's just so simple for people to understand. You know, I think an eSports game that is pure as a competition and really easy for the public to understand is CSGO. But it's obviously just so much easier to understand F1 or IndyCar. You know, the fastest Definitely. car across the line wins, and it's exactly the same as what happens in traditional sport.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you can't really get much simpler than, you know, what the, the car that goes around the track, the fastest wins. You know, that's really yeah. as simple as it can get. Um, you know, I think, like you say, the, the access point to the sport now is, is, is so easy, you know, because in the past there's been huge problems in the real world of getting you know, grassroots entry level into the sport cause it's so expensive, you know. Karting now is in the hundreds of thousands for a year. Really? Wow. Level, yeah. Which is, you know, no one can afford that, really. You know, you're looking at yeah. such a tiny audience. Um, yeah. So, you know, before you even get started in, in motorsport, you've kind of already restricted yourself to a 0.1% of the population that can actually take part in it properly. Um, whereas with eSports, you know, you actually only need a controller, albeit that, Know the top guys use wheels and pedals, um, and I think that's that's a point that we should touch on is the fact that it's so the skill sets are so easily transferable. You know, you could you can be at home with a wheel and pedals playing ten hours a day for seven days a week, and you know we found that that these gamers because they're putting in so many hours and the games are becoming more and more realistic that you know the ability to try to kind of move to the real world and compete and be at a good level. It's 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 happening more and more. um You know, James Baldwin. I think has been on your show before. Yeah, uh, he's one of our star esports drivers. He's um he won the world's fastest gamer, uh, which is a competition set up by Darren Cox, one of one of the other industry leading um kind of guys. And uh, you know, he's then got an opportunity to drive uh, a GT car uh in in a world series. You know, with real professional drivers for Jensen Button's team. So really exciting opportunity for him and uh, you know, not too long ago in January 2019 um, he won uh, the E Race of Champions so Race of Champions is a competition that's held uh, on an annual basis which basically brings together real life champions or racing drivers from all over the world and they ran an esports competition online and James won it and was able to compete against uh, the real drivers and beat some of them, you know, so yeah. That, that's incredible. I mean, Enzo Pito, who's a Formula 1 eSports driver, a former McLaren shadow and now Ferrari eSports driver, he beat Lucas Degrassi, mm-hmm. who's a Formula E champion, you know, uh, on, mm-hmm. on the track in the real world, which is certainly not... I think not a lot of motorsport fans actually really understand that and I, or have heard of that before, you know, because I think if they did, it would give eSports much more credibility and these guys, kind of, the talent they've got would be... um you know, looked at as the pinnacle you know that's really what we're trying to try to build here is that you know most sports fans tuned into an eSports race and actually understands that they're not just you know kids that are the games not realistic and they're winning they're actually very talented individuals
0: you know the other crazy thing and I talked about this on a podcast ages ago and I was like I can't believe I never heard of this and I'll just read the headline simply Mac Inc Apple's largest premier partner announces 3.15 million dollar partnership with the world's fastest gamer i mean from like it's a 3.15 million dollar partnership for an esports tournament which is from my data that i have easily top 10 of any sponsorship deal ever in the world of esports and that's comparing you know csgo majors that's comparing um you know teams like Fnatic and this kind of stuff as to you know being privy to some of that kind of data as to how much these teams command that's that's crazy. It's yeah. It's, and yeah. and I, I read that and I was like, how the hell have I never heard this before? Like at I all.
1: I find that I find that often actually with with uh, kind of the sim racing side of things. Like these figures seem to get mixed somehow. But I mean, yeah, that's that's a crazy number. Um, you know, obviously that's not a prize in itself. That will be the costs of running a season in a championship, for example. Um, yeah. So. But even that, even still, you know the fact that brands are willing to, to do that and to support these initiatives, it's uh, it's very exciting for us, and uh, I think for the industry itself, it's uh, it. We're at a point now where sticking a logo on the side of a Formula One car even isn't always the best business because you know, the digital form there's there's much more engagement. You're going to get more visibility, and I think they're starting to understand that aligning with esports and gamers is a much stronger asset, even if maybe you have to start paying a little bit more now than you would do for the real world, um, it, it's, it's beneficial for their brand. Um, and that's mm-hmm. really, I mean, like it's it's no small brand either, you know, um, it's, it's a big brand that's done that. So that, that, that should give other brands a lot of confidence.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of it, like like, uh, so to kind of re-explain what you were saying as well, I think a lot of it in the past has been you pay for the privilege of being associated with, this person, product or service, this team or this driver or something like that. And a lot of the allure of the team or the driver is that the general people from the public or the fans, they don't have access to them. They can watch them race on TV and the driver might make one Instagram post a month and that's the best you're ever going to get out of this person. Whereas in with eSports, it's the literal opposite. Like if you look at TikTok, you know, There's uh, Jade, who's prolific on LinkedIn as well. She makes two to three TikTok videos a day. She's making uh, Instagram posts every day. She's doing tweets. She's doing Instagram stories. She's doing LinkedIn posts all the time, nonstop. And she's on YouTube as well because people want that contact. They don't want it to be like, You know Ryan Reynolds comes out of his cave and does one awesome movie a year and then goes off into the hills. They want to be like, I want to see what Ryan Reynolds had for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day and be able to ask him a question and see him answer my question and other fans' questions and be interactive. And I think that's a lot of it. And like you were saying too, is the reporting. I think, I I remember seeing an article, that I wish I saved this, about how somewhat of sports have lost their cool um, coolness factor in that, you know, a lot of uh, people would, CEOs would sponsor a football team because they simply like that team and they want to be able to get to the corporate box and things like that. And I think part of that is falling over now. Mm-hmm. And even me with doing influencer campaigns, I'm getting directly, um, directly pitched internally against Google ads. And they're saying to me, well, I know that if I spend a dollar in Google ads, I get a dollar 20. So what are you going to give me with influencer campaigns? And mm-hmm. I think it's becoming kind of similar to that as well. It's going to be like, well, if I spend 100,000 pounds on the smallest possible logo on an F1, uh, maybe you know it's, it's on the tire and you can't see because it, it spins around yeah. so hard. What, what am I going to get back from that? Are you going to guarantee or at least have some provable data to show me that I'm likely to get $175,000 in sales. Yeah. $175,000 no, I think
1: sales. just put on with that. I'll tell, I'll tell you a funny story actually on that. Um, yeah, sure. Just just, just about the, um, the point where you're speaking about um, people recognizing uh, kind of the real world and wanting to know all about, you know, what they are for breakfast and whatever. I think the, the point where I saw that happening was we were in a, in a, in a Formula One paddock in Monzo in Italy and we're obviously surrounded by Formula One drivers, and we had our YouTubers with us who were creating some content there and we were all walking out at, at one point and There were a few Formula One drivers walking past, and fans were waiting outside and um you know some of the Formula One drivers were kind of getting photos taken from afar, and our YouTubers who were Formula One content creators were getting you know young fans screaming at them were kind of far more excited and interested to be meeting them than they were the, the actual Formula One drivers, and that that moment for me was one where I was like, you know, wow, this is this is amazing because I think, like you said, the fact that they've watched them in their bedrooms, they know who they are, they they feel that closeness to them. It yeah. it brought that moment to to life for them. That makes sense, you know. They the Formula One yeah. drivers were kind of just a photo on a screen. Really, they didn't really know much about them. Um, even though they're obviously far more famous in in, in sporting terms. But uh, they definitely felt more of a resonance towards the the YouTubers that they kind of were able to watch from their bedrooms for the last four or five years. So that was was a really cool moment. Um, Yeah. I think, you know, the the exciting thing with Formula One, actually, is that Lando Norris, who's a young British driver, um, he's a a big gamer. He streams on Twitch a lot. So um, he recently touched i think he reached 100,000 live concurrent viewers on twitch which is obviously a a big milestone for anyone um that that's exciting because that's the the, the sports for me i mean i've always watched formula one i've always felt that the pinnacles um the icons kind of they've been untouchable and you can't reach them you can't speak to them you can't get near them Um, Whereas I think the the new generation of Formula One drivers, a lot of them game, a lot of them stream. I think fans feel that closeness to them. And certainly if you look on social media, you can see that, you know, even the interactions, they've got so many more engagements and interactions with fans. And I think that will really help their brands moving forward.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think it, it cuts off a lot of that awkwardness when... You see a celebrity and you don't know what to say to them because you don't know really who they are at all. You've seen them as Iron Man. You've seen them as whoever else on the screen that you have no real idea. But a YouTuber that you watch every day, you know that they're on the ketogenic diet and you are too because they post stories about it all the time on Instagram. And you can go up and say, hey, mate, I'm on keto diet because you did. And I think that's why, you know, people resonate with someone like joe rogan so well as well you know he's okay. always very authentic in what he does and if someone's eating the same diet as him they started doing jiu-jitsu because of him you know et cetera. Et cetera that's why they resonate with him so well or that's why I resonate people resonate with jocko willing for example because they always see him every day posted. that he's up at four in the morning on his watch and they say jocko i wake up early because of you i started doing jiu-jitsu because of him so if i was to meet him in person like straight away we've got something in common that we can talk yeah, about yeah I yeah that makes sense
1: really interesting so is it
0: So is it the same in esports too? Does does F one dominate as as far as esports goes? Um, I
1: wouldn't go as far as saying dominate because there's so many different games. Like you, you have Forza, you have Gran Turismo, you have. So actually, Gran Turismo is the FIA licensed esports game. So Formula One actually isn't. Um, Yeah. Okay. It's it's Gran Turismo and, and they get as it's okay. this fantastic broadcast there. There's that's kind of the the strength and also the weakness of sim racing at the moment is that there's so many different games and different titles and yeah, be much easier to have that all on one, under one roof, you know. So that if you like racing or you like esports, you could go to one place. Whereas it's quite fragmented at the moment, um, and that's been a challenge certainly for uh, teams for brands because they're kind of like well where do we go? You know, do we go to Formula One? Do we go here? Do we go there? Um, With with the content that we put out on our channels on the blockchain side, we kind of try and have a little bit of a mixture. It is predominantly Formula One. Um, Again, given it's the pinnacle of motorsport that, you know, a lot of people do naturally kind of find themselves playing that game. And I feel like if if something's going to blow up, it, it, it will be Formula One, just because they've got the resources, they've got the audience. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense for it to be that game. Um, so, but we'll, we'll we'll see. You know, there's there's kind of a blend of more casual, easy to play racing games, and then there's kind of the more hardcore, like if you get on and you can't drive, you're not going to get around the track. Kind of games like iRacing and R Factor, which require yeah. a lot more skill. Um, and you know, that's where the difference between me driving a car and someone like James Baldwin and one of our eSports drivers, you know, that's where you see the big difference. And the Formula One game, I can probably get within a second of him, whereas on those platforms, I'll be five, six seconds off him, you know. So there is a definite difference in the kind of platform.
0: Yeah, it's it's been like a it, an interesting thing from an outsider looking in about the similarities between that and the fighting games community as well similar kind of stuff. You know, there is one game that kind of dominates Finding Games, which is Smash Brothers. Yeah. But there's still so many other, you know, Dragon Ball Z is huge. Uh Tekken is huge. And, you know, there's Persona, there's, you know, so many other. And, you know, I think the Couch Warriors in Australia, which is a, a, a company that operates most of the Finding Games tournaments here, I think they run 11. They run games for eleven total games and often people will play four. You know, they'll be one will be their main game, one will be the second game, and they might mm-hmm. join some others just for fun. Yeah. And that's always been crazy to me because, you know, people will often ask, you know, hey Chris, do people play League of Legends and Dota Two? The answer is no. Not even casually, most of the time. It's either yeah. one or the other. They're similar really- games, they've just got different types of mechanics and leagues a little bit easier to get into, but they've seem to have a fairly similar skill ceiling across both the games. And Mm -hmm. similar with FPS, you know, I started off playing uh, top level in Battlefield 2, then Battlefield Bad Company 2, and transitioned to CSGO, and I went from, I think we were like the number one 4v4 team in Australia for Bad Company 2 and top 6, 8v8, I went to like top 25, if that, in in (laughs) Counter-Strike. You know, so it's a hard come down because you're going from so good, but the games, (laughs) yeah, and while they're both first-person shooters, it's like Battlefield is much more about the movement than the aiming. Where Counter-Strike, if you can shoot the other guy in the head, you win. And the strategy is so different because the maps are nowhere near as big in Counter-Strike. So you can't use that positioning. And the things that I were the best at was movement and also positioning. And those were the two things that matter nowhere near as much in, in CS Source, which was at the time. So I was able to use that knowing how to learn to become much better when CSGO came out into a top four, top six team then. But, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely those transferable those transferable skills aren't there as much. But it seems interesting to me, is it? And is that similar in racing? You'll, you'll have people who'll play two, three, four kind of games?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, strangely, there's kind of guys that play just one and want to be the masters of that one. Um, and I think there's there's a lot to say for that. But, but equally, I think given that there's no game that has huge prize pools and and these games are typically, if you're a good racing driver, you can pick them up quite quickly and that's something that we encouraged James Baldwin from the very beginning, I actually think in the world at the moment, he's the only sim racer that's truly embraced it and said, right, Right. I'm going to kill myself for every game and I'm going to try and do my best in every title, and you know it, it's no surprise that he's you know been so, so successful. He's won the he's a Le Mans esports champion on the Forza game. He's a champion on the Project Cars game. He will be in the F1 esports series next year. Um, he does a bit of Gran Turismo, so he really does try and do um, a multitude of games. But on the whole, these guys are quite. Uh, stubborn in the sense that if they're on one platform and they're good at that, they just stick at that, um, which I think is is a is an issue actually, because you want those names to be coming up, you know, fighting each other on different titles, not on just one. Um, so we'll mm-hmm. see how that develops.
0: Yeah, and another question for you too is like, is there a is there a good balance between that? I learnt that I learnt the the quote or the the explainer word can't even think at the moment of Simcade you know, something that's a little bit of a mixture between arcade and sim racing. Is there a game that seems that seems to have nailed that so far? Because, like, see, if you look at the traditional esports market, Dota 2 is suffering and will always suffer because the game is so damn hard at an entry level to learn. You've got, yeah. you know, 100 heroes, you've got all these different items, you've got all these different mechanics you try to learn, and things seem to contradict themselves all the time. There's certain items that give you magic immunity, but certain skills can go through that immunity, and it changes with each patch sometimes as well, and it's just impossible to keep up. Whereas, you know, if you're going to drive, let's say you created a, a GTA 5 driving tournament series, it's pretty easy for anyone to understand because you can hold X and you can steer and you pretty much don't have to brake in GTA and you can drive around the map. Whereas like you were saying with some of these harder ones, it's such a higher skill entry, you know, ent- skill to enter into it where you might have to buy a full $400 to $800 sim racing setup simply to just even get around the track in one piece in a, in a Zonda or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think just... Formula One, the Formula One game is probably that one because you can play on a controller, um, you can play on a wheel. There's okay. quite a lot of assist stats um, you can use to kind of get started if you're a you know a beginner. So I think that's probably the game that I'd say is the one of the easiest to start getting to grips with the kind of physics and the handling of the game. I don't know actually why it's you know been so successful up until this point.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's funny what you said about licensing. I've heard the NBA is is also brutal. When it comes to licensing certain things, and it's an un, it's a you know thing that people from the outside, or if you haven't, you know, even for me when I hadn't experienced it before, you don't know. But I used the um, example in the past that we were running um, Fortnite and FIFA for a client, and we ended up just dropping FIFA because it was too hard. There was too many. I think for, Fortnite's community guidelines were basically, you know, no drugs, no alcohol, um, and we'll approve your graphics. When yeah. something like fifa was basically the opposite it was like no 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 and then like a little yes at the end of like the things you could I mean,
1: do to do with the fact that it's got a real world um organization behind it you know football had the actual fifa fifa in the real world and formula yeah. one same so i think that there, there comes a lot of conflict because there's a lot of brands involved in the real sport that there might be conflict. you know conflicts in the virtual world so that's Again, probably an area that needs to be looked at by Formula One because it's diff- esports doesn't operate like, re- like the real world, you know, and that's something yeah. that people need to start understanding is that there's got to be more flexibility there. Um, otherwise, they're, they're missing out on opportunities, I think.
0: Especially when we're used to like Counter-Strike 1.6 and Counter-Strike Source, for example, where Valve is like, you can literally do whatever you want until there's some government issue like there was in the past and or unless there's a massive tournament issue like there was with um i think it was called perfect world back in like 2015 where players were getting um getting extremely sick from the hotel food they got their passports confiscated um mm-hmm. because the tournament organizer didn't pay for the rooms and and things like this that's the only time valve would get involved we've kind of been almost spoilt like that because that's not how the real world works like you said you can't just take someone else's product and say like use it to promote yourself Nah. you can't just say hey i'm running an f1 esports tournament and using their logos and everything like that because they've paid a lot of money to market that logo and you know, you're, you're taking advantage of that yeah yeah that makes perfect sense so let's let's chat a bit about um what motorsport is doing right now so like i said quickly at the start for anyone um who's watching this back in i don't know six months a year whenever this kind of stuff passes it's it's kind of the corona time right now where every every live sport has been cancelled. And we've seen um, the NBA do a little bit in esports since this kind of stuff's happened, um, and some teams. We've seen even the UFC, they got Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, a welterweight, on to broadcast some of his own fights, and it was actually really interesting watching him, watch himself get knocked out. Um, he's a very ch- charismatic type guy. He's, he's funny. Um, but we haven't seen any sport, at all or any category of sports take to esports like motorsport has. And I think we were talking a little bit on LinkedIn. It's six plus from my knowledge thus far of motorsports that have gone both arms, both legs into esports. There's been two F1 events, you know, not the, not the Baron and not the GP. There's been supercars have announced that You know, every single driver who competes in the traditional supercars races will now be competing in the E-Series. There's been, I think it's TCR in Australia. There's been IndyCar. There's been NASCAR has jumped in as well. So A, what's your involvement in that? And B, why have no other sports jumped into it like motor racing has?
1: Um, Yeah, so a bit of of background on that. I mean, um, when we, I mean, as a team, we were kind of watching from afar, obviously, that the Australian Grand Prix, which is the first Grand Prix of, of the calendar in Formula One, um, it looked like kind of Wednesday Thursday that the event on the Sunday was going to get cancelled. So, as a team, we were kind of like, right, guys, look, you know, we're we we operate in esports, um, you know, and I mean this term in, in, in the best way. You know, esports is is immune to the coronavirus in the sense that events can continue. It's a digital format, um, so we thought, right, fans are going to be without racing. Um, what can we do as a team to give people entertainment and put a smile back on people's faces? Because ultimately, you know, it's a dark time that we're all in at the moment. You know, it's very difficult. There's a lot of people losing their lives around the world. Um, so we sat down as a team and thought, all right, can we get some real life driving talent that are going to be at home without real racing? You know, being on the track, get them on a uh, on the game against esports talent and some YouTubers them and have some fun. And, and we launched the Not the Odds Grand Prix. Um, so we had about three days to turn around, which is the most mental three days of my life. Um, yeah. Organising um, drivers to, to take part in this in this event, and you know it kind of blew us away. Really, we had 100. I think the first event we had 175,000 concurrent viewers, which was across all of the talent um racing and streaming it across uh, our own channels. Um and last mm-hmm. Sunday we did not the Bar Grand Prix to replace Bahrain, which was supposed to be on Sunday as well, which got two hundred and fifty thousand live viewers and had three million views since. So, you know, mm-hmm. the appetite for it's been incredible. And I think that's been a combination of the fact that everyone's at home with no sport on the television and, you know, wanting that fix, wanting that racing fix that they didn't get. Um, and I also think, you know, you look at Steam have had, I think, their highest concurrent users of 22 million, I think, the other day. Um, so there's, there's there's definitely more people gaming at the moment and more people interested in, in kind of watching gaming, which is a, a huge opportunity for us. I know it's, it's difficult to get too excited about it, given the circumstances, but I think we have uh, an element of... Uh, what's the word I guess we have kind of a duty really to provide entertainment because we are the racing kind of team in the virtual space and I feel like yeah, we've got so many influences that can you know put a smile on people's faces and give some people some entertainment that we should be putting on these events and motorsport's been you know, hugely um, excited by it and so, excited is probably the wrong word but definitely embracing it um, because I think the real world, certainly in uh, in motorsport, you know, there's going to be no races for the foreseeable future, and you know, there's huge amounts of money um, that's been invested into you know logis- logistics, sponsorship, and these guys are thinking, you know, what are we going to do? We- we're going to have no uh, no placement, uh, we're going to get no exposure, um, and I think the virtual format provides them with that opportunity to at least. Um, kind of reach out to people, and certainly for racing drivers to be able to interact with their fans, to to tell people that it's okay and that they can still watch them racing, and and that's been part of the journey up until now. Um, and we partnered with the Motorsport Network, um, which are a huge media uh, company based in Miami and, and London, which will really support our growth and uh, will definitely help kind of the the events moving forward. Um, so, why five or six of the? the kind of main championships have done it. I think, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's because of the event we put on, but I also think, you know, they, they've looked at it and thought, what a great concept. Um, you know, let, let's mm-hmm. give our fans, you know, the same. And I think why other sports haven't done it, it's beyond me really. I mean, what an opportunity for them to, to kind of engage their audience in, it, in it, you know, on Twitch, on YouTube, um, And I think we've had conversations actually with, you know, some football agencies given my my past experience. Um, Mm -hmm. All these players game, you know, they all love gaming. When they're not training on a football pitch, they're at home playing Fortnite or playing FIFA. Um, So I think you will start seeing um, more of that over the next few weeks and months. But I think motorsports actually always been able to kind of move quite quickly. And I think, You know, there's been such an appetite for it that I think they kind of, the hands were forced a little bit and thinking if we don't put it on, we're going to be embarrassed, you know? So um, I think that's that's got a large part to do with it.
0: Yeah. And you just, and you just can't do nothing, right? You you can't just do that. And I think the sport that's seen the most benefit so far from everything is the AFL because the Australian Football League, because it was the last sport in the world. And Americans were going crazy for it because it played part of the first round uh, without crowds, and it was after everything cancelled. Australia was a bit late to the to the bell, I guess. And yeah, I, I saw so much action from that, and they started releasing content saying, "Hey, Americans, I see you love our sport. You know, here's some basic guides for you to follow." When I saw some a massive NFL podcast guy, I think his name's Patrick or something like that, was. You know, he said he was up till four AM. He was tweeting about it nonstop. He was like, "What is this sports? The best thing. This is what NFL should be." Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that's part of it. And that's the same with us. You know, we've been talking to, I guess you could say, more participatory sports here in Australia. Ones that aren't as focused as much on the professional side, like F one, but more focused on, "Hey, if I'm a, if I'm a, a football, a soccer, or if I'm a baseball," um, who, who are two lots of people we've been talking to, and I've got hundreds of clubs per state that can't play anymore. How do I engage those people? They've probably paid their yearly fees as well to be you know, signed up to, to whatever team they're playing they in. So how can I offer them something to do? And I'm sure that if you've got 350 sporting clubs, say you've got 350 football soccer teams, I'm sure there's at least... 10 people in each team that love to play fifa and i'm sure out of those you can get one person with a stable internet connection to represent their club to play in a 350 person bracket tournament which is huge which can easily go for six weeks easily be hosted online or a challenge or an esports mogul or a face it or something like that and you know chuck it's not hard to organize chuck a couple thousand dollars prize pool against it because it's community they don't need millions of dollars and off you go and you know that's that's what i've been talking to a lot of these people about and it it just makes perfect sense and want to highlight something else you were saying too, is that I too have felt so conflicted, right? Because I don't want it to be like, hey, you know, I'm I'm God and I have the solution here and I'm going to save your sport and I'm going to make a ton of money out of your misfortune and all these people's misfortunes from being sick and dying and being locked up at home and losing their jobs around the world. But also the entrepreneur in me sees that here's an opportunity to make a solid difference to so many people. People are locked up in home. They don't have things to do. Um, they've watched all the Netflix series, you know, they've they've played some Animal Crossing, they're bored and they think like me, for example, I took so much for granted MMA being on basically every single weekend, the UFC. I used to watch it like every Sunday and now it's not on. I realise how much of an advantage I took that and I want that MMA content. I want that UFC content. And I can't get it because there's no fights or anything happening. There's there's nothing new. It's it's just YouTube and I'm getting sick of just watching, you know, old old fights happen. So Taking advantage with an entrepreneurial mindset or something as a, as a positive rather than a negative. It's not like we're stealing shipments of toilet paper and, and selling it at six times the price. It's not like we're trying to jack up face masks from 16 cents cost to $80 each or something like that, which people definitely are. And there's actually seizures happening in Australia because people are doing this, trying to uh, export out to other countries at, at really high prices. But it's like, how can we use our industry and our knowledge for like some sort of advantageous gain for people. It helps for the sponsors because they still get some form of exposure. It helps for the sports because they can maintain contact. And like to re-explain what I was saying at the start too, it makes perfect sense because it helps the sports that are very innovative to do this first because they are the only sports that exist. AFL saw a massive boost because they were the only sport in the world, and now esports is the only sport in the world. Sponsors are looking at it um you've got betting agencies are now rushing to esports as hard as they can i was on a call with draft kings today talking about hey we want to ramp up some of our esports efforts um you know so like across the whole board now is the time for esports to prove its value prove its worth and you know hopefully stick around after you know all of the coronavirus stuff has passed
1: yeah no i i, I completely agree with everything you just said um yeah, i think we we've kind of We've been stuck in that place where you kind of like, you know, do you want to get happy about this, this, this moment? And it's very difficult to, I'll be honest, you know, because, you know, like you say, we've got to try and turn this negative period into a positive. And I think esports can do that for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's a period of time that we're all going to be in for, uh, you know, I don't know months to come weeks months um and and like you said you know for the sponsors for brands to the the eyeballs are on us you know for the first time in in a long time the world's eyeballs will actually be on on esports because it's the only sport that can continue and it's the only sport that you know people can actually participate which is crazy you know in the uk now we're not even allowed to go outside unless we're going to get food from the supermarket so you know, there's there's a, there's that struggle, and there's only so many crosswords, there's only so many Sudoku puzzles that you can do before um, you may turn to esports, um, and that's that's yeah. exciting because it's an audience that we probably wouldn't be able to tap into without coronavirus. Um, but it, I think the other point that I think from our side we've tried to to do is that if we have got you know high visibility and a lot of concurrent viewers, you know there there is a an important message that we can spread around the world which is you know staying home um spreading the awareness of the disease and that uh, you know that is also a crucial part of this is that you know mm. when when there are so many people watching it's a good time to kind of spread that message and, and to um you know tell people to to stay out of uh public areas and stay at home. That that's the the best way to kind of get that message out. Mm.
0: Another another question I had for you too is that I'm a I'm an electric car fan. Um And, and, you know, electric fan as a a whole and all that that kind of sustainability jazz. But the main thing that people say against that is I really want to hear the sound of a V8. You know, I want to hear a supercharger. I want to hear a turbocharger, that kind of stuff. I'm interested in seeing what do the traditional fans say that esports is missing compared to motorsport? Obviously, you don't have the visceral, you know, I'm a fan of drag racing where your rib cage is basically shaking when a car's going down the track. You obviously don't have that. I don't think there's any drag racing esports that I can think of because it probably wouldn't be exciting at all but yeah you know, what do the members of the public say about that you know what are the detractors saying and what are some positive stories from people who've come across to watching esports who've never been exposed to it
1: um are you saying so are you saying it's the electric format of real racing or are you saying the esports side
0: no I just it just just using that as an analogy i guess people saying like i don't like I don't like electric cars because I don't get anywhere near the amount of satisfaction I do from a, from a real car. I don't get the noise. I don't get the smell. I don't yeah. get the, you know, certain, certain feelings or whatever. Do people say that about esports versus the, versus the traditional racing? Yeah, as
1: well? they, they definitely do say some, you know, certainly there are fans that do say that and it's the same with formula E, which is the electric format of formula one. Our, one of our founding partners is John Eric Verne, who was a Formula One driver and he's now the formerly world champion, two-time world champion. Mm. Uh, and and that series has always struggled with fans saying, "Oh, it's not, not, it's got no noise, it's got no smell of petrol when you're at the track." Um, and and ultimately, esports can't replace that. You know, we, you know, esports will never replace the sound of an engine, and it will never replace being at the track and seeing a car go past you at 200 miles an hour. It, it, it's not meant to, um, and I don't think. eSports esports has never been positioned like that. eSports is positioned to give people um, high-octane racing, overtaking, um, and I think, crucially, it gives people an access point to the sport. It's, you know, you're able to, for for the cost of a PS4 or an Xbox or a PC, be able to race against your friends and have fun, you know, whereas going to your local go-kart track or owning a go-kart or owning a car costs – you know, vastly more than that, and 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 that's been really our mantra as a team, and our philosophy is that we want to get as many people into racing as we can, and whether that's through watching it or taking part, um, you know, that that's a good thing for for the real world and the real world of sport. And it may be that, you know, Formula One, you know, in the future becomes a little bit more hybrid and, and less noisy, more environmentally friendly. Um, but for me, you know. You know, there is always a place for hearing an engine. Of course there is. And there's always that kind of, like, you, you can't get a car going past you quickly and that kind of that rush and adrenaline you get. Um, but like I say, esports is never meant to replace that, and it never will. Um, but what it can do is, is kind of build, you know, having there's a community of people out there that want racing more than just on a Sunday every, you know, twice a month. Th- these events can be held daily. Um, you can take part and race against real racing drivers, you know, the opportunities you'd never get in the real world. So there's plenty of positives and upsides to, to eSports, but I think, you know, when, I, when anyone ever asks me that or says that, I kind of, I do tend to snap at them because, you know, it's not, it's never going to replace that and never will. As simple as that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And it's just like what you're saying a few times, it seems like, You know, eSports replaces karting. It replaces a 100000 plus a year, you know, with a $500 PS4, a $99 game. And really, if you want a a $400, $500 wheel and pedal combo that you can attach to your $99 gaming chair and off you go. You know, that's a one-off price and maybe buy the new game every year.
1: On that point as well, you know, Formula One teams are now, you know, using eSports to recruit you know, simulated drivers to recruit talent that they would never have had access to before. You know, th- this this opens up. You know, you think about the, the pool of people that took part in motorsport ten years ago at entry level. You know, compared to what it is now within e- in, in the esports market, you're looking at a thousand times more people, which is insane. You know, when you when you think about it, and only you only have to look at the statistics of you know maths basically that the more people that take part the more likely that there's going to be better driver talent. You know, it's as simple as that. Um, And I think, you know, having spoken to Alfa Romeo, certainly the work we do with them, McLaren, Mercedes, teams I know um, well, you know, esports talent are now working very closely with the Formula 1 team because they're on the simulator. Because they've been doing it at home for so many years, these guys are perfect fits for this role that, you know, advancing the car, telling them how it feels in the simulator, they're the kind of the masters of that
0: art. Mm, mm. And it was funny, you, you know, definitely resonated with what you were saying about the engine noises, and that was the best part of Ford versus Ferrari, <laughs> I think. Yeah. It was, you know, however long the movie is, an hour and a half. It was an hour and a half worth of screaming engine. It was fantastic. I loved it. And oh, that's 100%. always the thing for me. I
1: you watched, is it Rush? Is that what it's called? With um, so. Chris Leonard? Yeah.
0: No, it's, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, I think it's called that. I'm not, Maybe I'll get that wrong, but that's another yeah. film. To watch because it's it's unbelievable. It's all about the old school Formula One cars that are raw, brutal, loud.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. That's that's always one of the best parts. So where where to from here for the motor racing scene? Are we going to see more um you know more competitions being announced, different different types of motor racing sports coming into the space?
1: yeah i think so i mean the, the sky's the limit really i think for this industry now um kind of floodgates have opened i think we've struggled kind of for a year or so to kind of get the real world to accept it and think that it's and legitimized it i think the fact that ferrari and mercedes and all these big brands are now heavily invested and involved it legitimizes it as an esport and you know, all these brands are kind of mar- using their marketing budgets to start funneling people over to eSports. So I think we will definitely see an upward trajectory of, of in audience, certainly, and participation. And I think, naturally, the more people that take part, the more people that watch, the bigger the tournaments, the bigger the prize pools. Um, you know, hmm. the same with Counter-Strike, the same with any eSport. Um, yep. so, you know, for, for a number of years, sim racing has never really been deemed you know, a tier one or even tier two e-sport. Um, but I think gradually it's getting there. Um, and, you know, the, the, even the equipment, you know, if you look at how the these competitions are now set up, you know, the rigs look similar-ish to cars. You know, the, the drivers are in the position of a racing driver would be in a Formula One car, for example, and the equipment is yeah. becoming much more realistic. And, and, you know, a real racing driver can get on and get up to speed quite quickly, which is important because I think... You know, the more that the real racing drivers can take part in the esports side of things, that's where, you know, the audience has maybe had some resistance to esports and entertaining that idea of, I'm going to watch a virtual race, which a lot of kind of traditional racing fans say, if their heroes are taking part, then, you know, maybe, you know, they'll be more kind of uh, inclined to, to watch
0: it. Yeah, it's like a legitimizer, right? And yeah. the thing that always impressed me so much is how much. Even like the commentators sound like traditional sports commentators, you know, watching modem sim, for example. And for those who don't know, you know, modem simulators from Australia, they've got a seven way pneumatic um, racing sim. We strap on VR to your head, you strap into a cage, um, you've got a proper F1 wheel in front of you or a replica and you go off and you're driving. And And it feels like a very real experience. And for me, when I tried that, I felt my flight or fight response kick in when i tried to crash into a wall on purpose i freaked out because i felt like i was in that in that real situation and even trying to drive a zonda you know i guess for me i was a bit of a boy racer um in the past and you know drove some cars maybe too fast every now and then don't sorry mum um but you know you, you think that you're a good driver until you get in a Zonda and you can't drive more than 500 meters before you spin out. <laughs> and it's like a very different experience, but watching modem sims do their esports tournaments, which they've done in the past in partnership with the Australian football league, et cetera. It was really cool to me how the, even the commentators, they looked and even dressed exactly like the traditional sports commentators. And yes. I thought that was a really almost like comforting experience, I guess. And it, it must have ticked something off it, a legitimacy in my brain being like, Oh, this is just like TV people. And I'm an esports guy, obviously, but even for me, like that, that felt like much better just saying
1: yeah i mean actually funny enough formula one used a lot of their real life talent commentary talent in on the Uh, esports. sports
0: i thought i I recognized some voices
1: Yeah. yeah so that i mean like you say i think that helps kind of put people at ease and it makes them feel comfortable watching a show and then certainly whilst the coronavirus is on you know well, you know, all these commentators aren't commentating on the real world, so they're also able to, to commentate on these esports events. Um, and and what what's important though for me is that there's still that esports kind of identity to it, you know. So it's, it's we, we don't want we don't want it to become the real world. That that's not what we're trying to achieve, you know. We, we want it to have its own yeah. identity. So, you know, as much as it's great having the real-life commentators on and the real-life drivers taking part, it's it's really important. Certainly, what we've focused on is kind of building profiles for the esports drivers, for the esports talent, to for fans to start actually knowing who they are and wanting to follow them. Because, like I touched on at the beginning of the, the podcast, you know, if, mm. if you're winning a race and no one no one knows who you are and no one, or no one watches, then what is the point of, of winning the race? You know, and that's something that we've got to focus yeah. on because you know like i say if nade shot was to win or lose a tournament that would be the defining factor of why i'd be watching a call of duty event and you know if, if fans don't know who's taking part in it um then they, they're not going to tune in so there's a real kind of got to be a focus on building those profiles and um and people to know who they are
0: so if, if anyone watching here now live on Twitch on LinkedIn, listening to the vital or the only version of the podcast, where can they follow you and, and your team through this journey now and into the future?
1: Um, so we're obviously on uh, YouTube, or on Twitch, we're on Twitter and Instagram, all Velocity Esports. Um, our our community is growing quickly. Um, we're an exciting kind of young esports team that's uh, predominantly focused in the racing space. So if you like racing, if you like esports, uh, come give us a follow. Um, we're live every day on Twitch. Um, we put out content every day on YouTube. Um, so we put a huge emphasis behind giving you things to watch. Um, and on, on social media, we, we've got a kind of tongue-in-cheek, meme-heavy uh, social media manager, so I'm sure you enjoy that as <laughs> well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on today, man. It's going to be really interesting to watch the growth and also how esports continues after all of this coronavirus stuff is over. I think it's been a real interesting legitimacy check. And I know that you say, you know, from the ground, it has been hard over the past year or two for you guys to get the traditional people to take you seriously. But it's been done 10 times faster than any traditional esports market has. And it's so impressive to see how serious these big brands and big F1 teams and such take it, take esports in such a small considerable amount of time one to two years versus you know every other sport esports has been punching up for a decade plus so please pay attention to me and being knocked down so it's it's really good kudos Uh, to you guys for sure
1: thank you thanks for having me
0: No problem, mate. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast. We'll have plenty more episodes like this coming as most people are stuck at home. If you've got any sort of content, any uh, special people that you'd like to hear from or see, feel free to let me know. We'll also put out a call to see uh, if you guys would like some different types of content while you're stuck at home, whether it's personal training, meditation, anything like that. We're definitely up for it. So thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now. See you soon. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports_gg. underscore gg.